This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Stoney and Cara were spending their first two weeks of marriage out on the lake. It was summer and the days were warm and long. It was the perfect beginning to their new life together as husband and wife, or so they thought. Aware of the natural dangers, they were prepared for anything anything except the supernatural. Welcome to Destination Terror, your passport to the scariest places in the world. From haunted hotels to locations of unexplained creature sightings, we will travel to places that will provide excitement, adventure, and horror. Today we're discussing mysterious Lake Michigan and the area also known as the Lake Michigan Triangle. So if you're into travel and all things scary, listen close, and you might just discover your next exciting adventure destination, but hopefully not your final destination. Destination Terror is an EerieCast original podcast hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you'd like to send us a suggestion or submit a story with your own experience, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at carmencarrion. If you enjoyed the show, please follow and rate Destination Terror on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Also, check out eeriecast.com for more scary podcasts, such as Tales from the Break Room, featuring allegedly true and terrifying stories that happened on the job. The morning was especially chilly, even for May, but it was always colder on the lake in the summertime than on land. 
Stoney zipped his windbreaker up to his collar, leaned onto the wheel of the yacht, and took a sip of his coffee. The lake was fairly calm, and the sun rising in the east cast a beautiful scene. He wished Kara had been awake to see it, but she was a late sleeper. They had been married for less than a day when they started their two-week honeymoon on the lakeshore yacht that had been a gift from his parents. They had met two summers ago while vacationing at one of the resorts in South Haven. She had been with her parents, and he had been with his friends from school. They had fell in love with Lake Michigan and with the surrounding area as they were falling in love with each other. He was just finishing his coffee when he heard her coming up the steps from the cabin. Good morning, sleepyhead. He greeted her as she shielded her eyes from the bright sun with her hand. Is there any more of that? She asked, nodding at his mug of coffee. She had wrapped a blanket around her shoulders as she had felt the chill in the air before ever leaving the cabin. Yeah, sure, I made enough for both of us. He pulled a thermos out of the storage space next to the captain's seat. I didn't want to wake you, so I poured it into this and brought it up with me. Look, I even brought you a mug. He poured the coffee into the empty cup and handed it to her. Thanks, baby, she said as she kissed him on the cheek. So what are we going to do today? She asked as she sat back on one of the bench seats with her coffee. Well, we are young, and this is our honeymoon, so I could think of several different things we could do, he said with a wink. Maybe, she laughed, but we can't do that nonstop. Want to bet? He said with a promising look that she didn't doubt for a moment. They ended up spending the day doing just as he suggested, enjoying the beginning of their new lives together, while the rest of the world couldn't interfere. That evening they did some fishing, and then cooked and ate what they caught. It was very romantic, and brought them closer even though neither one of them knew that was possible. After dinner, Kara spread a blanket and some pillows on deck so that they could lay and watch the stars together. Everything was perfect until they heard something hard bumping against the boat. Stoney got up to investigate, and Kara followed. Dang! Did the temperature suddenly drop? She said, shivering and rubbing her arms. He was leaning over the edge of the boat, while she stood behind him shivering. She could see her breath as it seemed to get colder and colder. Stoney stood and turned. He then grabbed the blanket and wrapped it around Kara's shoulders before lifting up one of the bench seats to rummage through the storage area. There's something in the water, but I can't tell what it is. It's too dark, he said while pushing aside life jackets and snorkeling gear. I could have sworn I saw a flashlight in here. He commented as he was still searching. Why don't you use the one that's attached to the boat? Kara said, trying not to laugh. Stoney stopped and looked slightly embarrassed, but then smiled. You're right, that would make more sense. He then walked to the bow of the boat, where an LED spotlight had been mounted by the previous owner or the manufacturer. There were two. One was mounted on the stern as well. He turned on the light and lit up the surface of the water. 
Kara stepped up next to him when she heard him gasp. How's that possible? He said in amazement. There were chunks of ice floating in the water. Is that ice? Kara asked. It's the middle of the summer and that doesn't make sense. Stoney began to shine the light farther away from the yacht and for as far as he could see, there was ice floating in the water. Small chunks and larger ones were banging and scratching the boat's sides. He went to the stern with Kara on his heels every step of the way. He flipped on the light mounted there and again saw ice everywhere. His teeth were beginning to chatter as the cold air was beginning to become unbearable without a jacket. I'm going to go find your jacket, she said, remembering the one he had been wearing just that morning. She found it laying on the bed in the cabin and grabbed it, quickly heading back up to the deck. Stoney grabbed the jacket and kissed her on the cheek as thanks, and then began to pull it on, when he noticed Kara staring at something over his shoulder. What is that? She asked. Stoney turned around quickly to see what she was looking at. He could see it too. It was a red light. Zipping the jacket, he turned and pointed the spotlight in the direction of the red light. Suddenly, a loud, ominous whistle filled the night air. Kara jumped at the sound and covered her ears. The light found its target and illuminated what looked like a large steamship, wrapped in mist, barely a hundred yards away. Stoney could make out the large wooden hull of the ship, and on top he could see two large stacks, with clouds of steam pouring out of both of them. What he couldn't see was life. There were no people visible on the steamship, and no lights were on except for that glowing red light coming from the bow. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The massive 22,400 square mile Lake Michigan is located between the states of Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Michigan. With 1,640 miles of shoreline and dimensions of 307 miles by 118 miles, averaging 279 feet in depth, the lake reaches 925 feet at its deepest point. Lake Michigan is the largest freshwater lake in the world and is contained entirely in the United States. Around the lake and its vast islands, there are more than 80 lighthouses. 12 million people call Lake Michigan home, and thousands of tourists travel there each year. Some of the most stunning beaches in the nation can be found on Lake Michigan, and the lake is protected by a number of well-liked parks. Lake Michigan is also a strange and mysterious place. We've all heard of the Bermuda Triangle, and I even did an episode on the Alaska Triangle. But what about the mysterious locale known as the Lake Michigan Triangle? It's an area that stretches from Ludington to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and to Mantiawak, Wisconsin. Over the last 130 years, ships in that area have disappeared and never been found, or found floating with nobody aboard. Why is this lake area so dangerous and mysterious? Why not the lake's lower portions? or even the more narrow portions, connecting Lake Superior and Huron to the north? These are excellent questions, and the closest thing we have to an answer simply relates to why there have been so many shipwrecks in this region. Waves are raised by the winds that howl over Lake Michigan, from Canada. When they advance south and east towards the coasts of Michigan, some of the lake's biggest and highest waves have been observed. It's why waters on the west side of Lake Michigan are typically calmer than those to the east. Although the triangle is mysterious, some of what occurs there can be somewhat explained by the weather. For instance, harsh weather is to blame for the bulk of shipwrecks in the triangle. On the sandy bottom of Lake Michigan, there are around 1,500 shipwrecks, many of which date back to the early 1800s. What are now left of them are wooden ribs, frames, and memories after they were swallowed by the water as a result of fierce storms, high waves, or fire. Even while we now think of Lake Michigan as a destination for boating, swimming, and fishing, it previously played a role in the transportation of commodities and commerce. Barges, schooners, and tugboats frequently navigated the waters between ports. While some ships were never found, several were discovered at the lake's depths decades later. The wrecks have been explored by skilled divers, and families can enjoy these historic wonders as well. Although the shipwreck coast of Lake Superior and the shipwreck alley in Lake Huron are intimidating, Lake Michigan is thought to be the most dangerous of the Great Lakes due to its tremendous currents. Supporter of Bermuda Triangle beliefs Charles Berlitz thought Lake Michigan was subject to forces resembling those found in the Bermuda Triangle. The Great Lakes account for more unexplained disappearances per unit area than the Bermuda Triangle, according to Jay Gulry's book, The Great Lakes Triangle. 
it's challenging to substantiate this claim due to a number of issues. When a ship is eventually found, statistics are not always updated. A lost ship's final resting location has occasionally been claimed by more than one lake. Le Griffin is one illustration. She might have been the first significant ship to vanish in the Lake Michigan Triangle. Le Griffin set out on a course from Lake Michigan to Lake Erie in September 1679. The fate of the Le Griffin is the subject of various speculations. Although definitive proof of her last resting site has not been found, it's generally accepted that she sank in the seas identified as being part of the Lake Michigan Triangle. Regardless of the cause, mutiny, theft, or poor weather, According to Chris Cole and Joan Forsberg's 2015 book, The Wreck of the Griffin, she might have sunk in Lake Huron. Whether or not the Griffin was the first, it's certain she wasn't the last to succumb to the deadly stretch of water that became known as the Lake Michigan Triangle. On May 21, 1891, the three-masted schooner, Thomas Hume, was sailing to her home port in Muskegon, the Hume never made it. More interesting, after exhaustive searches, not a trace of her crew or wreckage was found in the days, weeks, and months after her disappearance. Beyond the windswept dunes, the tale of Maritime Muskegon was written by Elizabeth Sherman, the great-granddaughter of the namesake of the ship, Thomas Hume. The Hume's final journey, which it made while traveling with the Rouse Simmons, is attempted to be explained in Sherman's tale. The Hume carried on by itself till she vanished. More than a century after she vanished, the Thomas Hume was not located at the lake's bottom until 2006. She had been there for all that time and was still almost flawless. Ironically, the Rouse Simmons, also known as the Christmas tree ship because of her load, perished in the triangle of Lake Michigan two decades later in November 1912. The Simmons vanished without a trace after a year. Later, Christmas trees started to wash up on the coast, and a fisherman caught something peculiar, the captain of the Rouse Simmons' wallet. The Rouse Simmons was discovered submerged in 165 feet of water, with no trace of what had sunk her to the lake's depths. The number of ships lost in the triangle is high, and rumors and false information flourish in the stories. The Lady Elgin, the Rosa Bell, and the Carl D. Bradley are on the list. But ships aren't the only things that have gone missing in the Lake Michigan Triangle. On June 23, 1950, Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 2501 took off from New York en route to Seattle, but never reached its destination. The Northwest flight, which had 58 passengers and crew aboard, departed from New York LaGuardia Airport at 7.31 p.m. with a scheduled stopover in Minneapolis, Minnesota on its way to Seattle. The Douglas DC-4 was powered by four Pratt and Whitney R-2000 Twin Wasp engines. The pilot duo that evening was 35-year-old Captain Robert C. Lind of Hopkins and First Officer Vern F. Wolfe, also 35. In the cabin, 55 passengers, men, women, and children, were served by the sole stewardess on duty, 25-year-old Bonnie Ann Feldman. Pilots requested a cruising altitude of 4,000 feet above Cleveland, 
because of a storm in the region, and air traffic control granted the request. About 40 minutes later, air traffic control asked the pilot to drop to 3,500 feet as another flight was cruising at 5,000 feet over Lake Michigan and was having trouble maintaining its altitude due to very strong turbulence. Flight 2501 obliged before requesting a cruising altitude of 2,500 feet near Benton Harbor, a city on the banks of Lake Michigan, at 11.13 p.m. Two minutes later, in what would be the DC-4's final contact, air traffic control denied this. A full-scale search was launched the next morning on June 24th. Around 13 hours into the search, a U.S. Coast Guard vessel, searching Lake Michigan, discovered oil slicks and aircraft debris floating on the water. More Coast Guard ships arrived to gather the debris, which included luggage, seat cushions, a fuel tank float, and human remains. However, the main wreckage of the plane was not found and remains undiscovered to this day. At the time, it was the deadliest commercial plane crash in both U.S. and world history and remains one of the country's most high-profile aircraft disappearances. Whether you call Lake Michigan's coast home or you're just a passing tourist enjoying the coastal beaches and the unique sand dunes, you should know that Lake Michigan has a number of ghost stories and legends. The Alpina is one of the most famous shipwrecks on the east shore of Lake Michigan and one of the most famous legends. On October 5, 1880, the steamboat Alpina set out from Grand Haven to Chicago on a warm Indian summer night. With 80 passengers and 22 crew members aboard, this Indian summer night turned cold and stormy as temperatures quickly dropped below zero. The Alpina was torn apart in what later became known as the worst gale in Lake Michigan history, also known as the Big Blow. The wreckage of the Alpina was found amongst 70 miles of Michigan beaches, along with thousands of bobbing apples in the water, which the steamboat was carrying. To this day, some sailors swear that they see the Alpina on misty nights in the waters of Lake Michigan, a ghost ship in the night. Then there's the steamer Chikara. Most would agree, the loss of the steamer Chikara on January 21, 1895, remains the single greatest mystery on Lake Michigan. The steamship Chikara was built for the Graham and Morton Transportation Company by the Detroit Dry Rock Company in 1892. This especially stout ship had been designed for winter passenger and cargo runs between Wisconsin and southern Michigan and had been built to cut through the ice pack and safely ply the often violent waters of the Great Lakes. The request to bring a supply of late winter flour from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, back to St. Joseph, came in January 1895, when the Chickaro was wintering at St. Joseph, Michigan. During the early hours of January 20th, Captain Edward C. Steins prepared his vessel and sailed for Milwaukee. One of the fatal ironies of the journey was when the captain, lacking personnel, hired his 23-year-old son to take the position of his second mate, who was ill. When the winds changed to the southwest and started blowing with the typical January intensity, the Chikara would have been somewhere in the middle of the lake. The ship was reported to be late later that day, and telegrams were dispatched up and down the Michigan coast, informing all harbors to keep an eye out for the ship. 
Rumors that the ship was in jeopardy were fanned by numerous eyewitness accounts. A man from South Haven claimed to have seen a ship sinking, with its stern pointed in the direction of the coast. Meanwhile, a ship that was clearly in difficulty and repeatedly blaring her horn was seen sailing into South Haven. Twelve Saugatuck residents stepped out onto the ice after the storm finally passed and discovered a line of wreckage that stretched from Saugatuck to South Haven and was frozen into the ice at a distance of roughly three-quarter miles from the coast. According to the newspaper, both masts, some oars, and an eight-foot square piece of decking were discovered within a half mile of each other. A tugboat located in Chicago reported seeing a hulk floating in open ocean, with crew members still standing inside. During the first week of February, W.J. Hancock, the Chikara's regular clerk, who had missed the sailing, was dispatched to look into the situation. He claimed to have only seen a dark iceberg covered in seagulls after hiring a tug. No bodies have ever been located. There has never been any considerable wreckage discovered beyond superstructure and masts. Between Saugatuck and St. Joseph, east of Mid Lake, on the bottom of Lake Michigan, the Chickaris Hull is most likely still largely intact. Many crazy stories have been told about the disappearance of the Chickara. One of the most intriguing ones are of bottles found with messages inside from the crew of the cursed ship. On April 14th, almost three months after the wreck, one of two bottles were found with messages inside from the crew. The first message found read, All is lost. Could see land if not snowed and blowed. Engine give out. Drifting to shore in ice. Captain and clerk are swept off. We have a hard time of it. 10.15 o'clock. A week later, a second bottle washed up in Glencoe, Illinois, with a small note written on notebook paper that read, Chikara engines broke. Drifted into rough sea. We've lost all hope. She has gone to pieces. Goodbye. McClure, engineer. People wondered whether the notes were real or just a hoax. But either way, they're a creepy reminder of what the crew went through. At least 23 men went down with the ship, and no bodies were ever found. It's believed that they still man the Chikara, now a part of another realm, appearing to other ships to warn them of dangers to come. Despite the ghost stories, crashed planes, and missing ships, Lake Michigan is a popular vacation destination. Michigan is home to some great best-kept secrets and attractions. No matter where you go, there's something new to experience. Climb to the top of one of Lake Michigan's many lighthouses, or volunteer for one of the keeper programs offered at a handful of the lighthouse museums in Northwest Michigan. Did you know Michigan has more lighthouses than any other state? Visit in the summer when operating hours are longer, flowers bloom on Mackinac Island, and the lake is pleasant and tranquil enough for swimming, or catch the fall colors. Yet throughout the winter, a lot of attractions close when the weather drops below freezing. While it's possible to self-drive across the area, taking a compact guided tour with a driver and guide can make it much easier to view the must-sees. In search of some great Gatsby glitz, 
while New York may have had its imagined west and east egg, Detroit has the actual Mackinac Island, which is pronounced Mackinac, despite its spelling. The Motor Barons spent their summers here, constructing enormous homes in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It's a small island where Lake Michigan and Lake Huron converge. All of them pale in comparison to the Grand Hotel, whose porch is 200 meters and is surrounded by gorgeous flower gardens. Of course, Lake Michigan itself is one of the best attractions. There are numerous opportunities to go swimming in the clear, fresh water or to unwind on the white sand beaches that line Chicago. The North Point Gardens in Milwaukee, which were created by the same person who created Central Park in New York, or in a quiet area on the opposite side of Mackinac Island. With over 800 miles of shoreline on Lake Michigan alone, getting away from it all is very simple. A swift boat ride across the lake from east to west takes two and a half hours. Almost every city on the Lake Michigan shoreline offers some sort of ghost tour. You can learn more about shipwrecks, lighthouses, cemeteries, and the ghosts that reside in these places by booking a tour. If you do decide to venture out onto the lake, you'll have the time of your life, enjoying the breathtaking magic that is Lake Michigan. Just make sure you avoid the mysterious Lake Michigan Triangle. The huge steamship seemed to be bearing down on them. Once the spotlight hit it, Stoney and Kara both could hear the loud banging of its pistons and the hiss of the steam pushing the large ship towards them. Kara immediately began to freak out. Is that thing going to hit us? Surely they can see our lights! Stoney knew he had to act fast, but what about the huge ice chunks floating in the water? They could cause damage to the boat, which would also jeopardize their safety. Realizing that he had no other choice, he headed back towards the bow, to the wheelhouse, and started the engine. He had to get them out of the way without crashing into any of the larger chunks of ice, and he had to do it as quickly as possible. He glanced back at Kara before pulling the throttle and made sure she was safely sitting down so she didn't fall when the boat took off. Kara was already seated, knowing from experience what she needed to do. Stoney urged the boat to accelerate, slowly at first, and then sped up as he worked the boat through the icy maze. The steamship's whistle screamed loudly from behind them, causing Kara to cover her ears again. The sounds of ice bouncing off the hull of the boat became louder and more constant. Stoney cursed beneath his breath before yelling at Kara to get a life jacket on. She didn't hesitate to retrieve two life jackets from their place in the storage area and put one on. She then scooted as close as she could to Stoney without getting up and shoved the other one in his direction. Stoney had pulled the life jacket over both shoulders and was trying to fasten it while steering when the huge steamship made contact with the side of the yacht, sending it lurching sideways. Kara hung on for dear life as Stoney was knocked off balance and went crashing to the floor, landing next to Kara's feet, where he banged his head on something hard. He could feel her stoop down beside him, and he thought he could hear her crying. As he lay there looking up at the massive ship that was now pressing up against the yacht, he could make out the wood grain of its hull, 
the mahogany color of its painted cabin on top that ran the full length. The stacks with steam pouring out towered above the ship. He tried to stand, but the bump on the head was making his head swim and his stomach turn over. He thought he may send the fish he ate back into the ocean at any minute or all over his jacket. Kara grabbed a towel that had been laying on the bench next to her and began to dab at his head. When she pulled it back, Stoney could see blood on it. Take this, she ordered, handing him the towel. Hold it to your head. She then gently laid his head back against the seat cushion and pushed herself out from under him and stood. Kara took the wheel and began steering the yacht away from the bellowing ship. As Stoney lay on the floor helpless, he watched the ship. He could see movement up there now. There were men, several of them looking down. They were strangely dressed, but they seemed familiar to him somehow. The steamship continued to press against them, as if it was forcing the yacht to change direction, heading them to an unknown destination. Stony lay there, looking up at the ship, that now began to look decayed and lifeless, even though its whistle continued to scream and its steam engine and pistons continued to roar. He never imagined this could be the way that he would die. He looked over at Kara's back and he felt proud. She had taken control of the situation and had not crumbled under fear. He began to drift off then, no longer able to fight the overwhelming spinning of his head. He looked up at the ship one last time, and he saw a word painted on the side of it. It read, Chikara. Stoney was afraid to open his eyes. The light was so bright that for a moment he thought he must be in heaven, until he felt the pain of his head throbbing. Finally, he forced his eyes open and heard Kara by his side. You're awake. Thank God. They said it was just a concussion, but still, you had me worried. That's when he realized the bright lights were the fluorescent lights of a hospital room. What happened? He asked, almost choking on the dryness in his throat. A miracle happened, she told him with a smile just as bright as the room. One that nobody's going to believe. Just then a doctor entered the room. He shined a light into each of Stoney's eyes and said some things that didn't really register and then left. Kara climbed up onto the bed and sat next to him. Do you remember everything that happened before you hit your head? She asked. Yeah, I think so. There was ice and a huge boat trying to kill us. She smiled down at him and grabbed his hand. That's what it seemed like at the time. I thought so too. But that boat saved our lives. Tears came to her eyes as she explained what had happened after he passed out. She told him how the boat had pushed their yacht back towards the shore before disappearing. It had pushed them right to the place where they had departed. Kara was able to call for help and get the boat docked just before a massive storm hit. It was unusual for summer, but not unheard of. 
The gale winds had been so severe that it had caused the lake to spit out towering whitecaps across the rocky shoreline, destroying businesses, boats, and docks for miles. If they had been on the lake when the storm hit, they probably would be dead. Thank you for joining us to explore mysterious Lake Michigan. Tune in next week as we discuss another terrific location. I'm Carmen Carrion. Remember, you can send me suggestions and stories of haunted places to my email, carmencarrion at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at carmencarrion. Be sure to check out eeriecast.com for more terrifying podcasts. Until next time, be safe out there until I see you at our next destination. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.